as Pastor Matt kind of mentioned in, in the confession this morning, we thought just as a, as a church family that this would be a, a great opportunity at the start of a brand new year to kind of take an honest moment of reflection about our relationship to God's Word, some of the feelings that we have about it, and, and some of the things that it says to us and for us. Right? And the reason for this is kind of twofold. There are kind of two chief feelings that we have as Christians when it comes to relating to God's word. The first is love, and the second is fear. On the one hand, we would say that we have a deep, deep love for God's word as Christians. We have a deep desire to, to know what it says, a deep desire to believe what it says, and a deep desire to do as this word says. But we also have uh, sometimes reasonably, an amount of fear that comes when a, like approaching this word. And that fear comes from just an honest struggle to know what this word says, to believe what this word says, and to do what this word says. And so, so here is my mission, my objective for this morning in our time together. I'm not here to try to instill in you um, just this reckless and radical love for God's word. Right? I, I cannot put the love of God in you. That, that is something that only Jesus can do. That is something he has to come into your heart and, and perform for you. I don't have uh, information in I, like my head. There's no words that I can speak that can manufacture that sort of desire and discipline and devotion for God's word in your life. That, that's something that has to be molded and shaped by God himself in you and your relationship with him. Okay? But here's what I can do, and here's what I want to do. I want to express and maybe expose for us some of the feelings we already have with God's Word, especially that fear. And my hope is this, that in expressing some of these fears and the reasons for them that we have, that some of these fears would actually be released, and that they would be cast out by the perfect love of Jesus for us, and that a new space in our hearts would be opened because of that, where Jesus can do what He does best and put that spirit in. That sound good? Okay. Reason number one why sometimes we are scared to approach the scriptures is because when we read the scriptures, we feel dumb. We feel just a little bit dumb when it comes to reading the scriptures. We have a genuine struggle to know what this word is saying to us, right? And the reason we feel so dumb sometimes reading the scriptures is because honestly, the scriptures can be pretty confusing in all the pieces and the parts that it has. It's, it's confusing to see how all those pieces and parts are supposed to fit together, especially between like the Old Testament and the New Testament. And for as much as we love Jesus, like Jesus of all the characters in the scriptures says some of the most confusing things that anybody has ever said. Like people talk about taking Jesus in context and out of context, like even in Jesus's context, he says some pretty confusing things, right? Because Jesus' context, it's full of people, full of Jewish people who know God's word who have a relationship with God's word already, who study the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets. And when they hear Jesus preaching, when they see Jesus teaching, they think he's not just confusing about God's word, they think he's actually contradicting it on a number of occasions. One example is this. One of the uh, titles that the Old Testament gives, uh, one of the titles that the prophet Isaiah gives to, to the Savior, to the Christ, the Messiah, that Jesus is supposed to be, is, is the title of the Prince of peace, right? Sounds logical. That makes sense. That's one piece of the puzzle. And then we have Jesus, on the other hand, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 9, saying, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that's confusing, if not completely contradicting. It's hard to see how those two pieces are supposed to fit together. 
Another example could be this. In, in the Old Testament law, Moses, he's given uh, the Ten Commandments by God on Mount Sinai. And one of the first commandments God gives Moses is the fourth commandment. It's talking about family, right? And the commandment, it's, it's really simple. It's really logical. It's honor your father and your mother. Makes a whole lot of sense, right? God created family. He created structures and, and systems of authority, and we're supposed to respect that order as he's created it. That's one piece of the puzzle. And the other piece of the puzzle is this. Jesus comes along <laughs> in the New Testament and one of the things he says when he's teaching, when he's preaching, is unless you hate your father and your mother, you have no share in the kingdom of God. Those two pieces, they're, they're incredibly confusing. They're incredibly difficult to try to put together. And, and you read all these pieces and parts of the Old and New Testament, and you're thinking, how in the world does this make sense? And, and you know what? It, it's kind of crazy because you can spend your whole life reading these scriptures you can spend your whole life reading the scriptures in all its pieces and parts, and you can still walk away sometimes feeling like you just don't get it. Like you're just not smart enough to get it. I was in a class last fall in seminary. We were going through the Old Testament, especially through the prophet Isaiah, and we were reading a commentary, which is basically just this like thousand-page book of like line-by-line, piece-by-piece analysis of the scripture where, where one person, praise God, spent like their entire life's work, their, their entire life just trying to pour over the scriptures and, and interpret and expose faithfully the, the depth and the intricacy of what God is trying to tell us. And I'll never forget, we were in class one morning reading this commentary on the book of Isaiah. And we get to this point on the page where, where this commentator, by the way, one of the most renowned and respected Old Testament scholars in the world, he says, point blank, I have no idea what's going on here, and I give up. Like, like who says that? Like, if this is what the, the experts are saying, if this is what, like, an Old Testament scholar has to say when, like, uh, approaching God's word honestly and sincerely, like, what confidence is that supposed to give us, like, just ordinary people in, in trying to understand and relate to God's word? Right? We, we feel so dumb sometimes when we approach God's word because all the pieces and the parts, they can be really, really confusing. But I think one of the other reasons that we feel just a little bit dumb when it comes to trying to like read God's word is because we honestly forget. Like we honestly just forget that it's okay not to understand all the pieces and parts of scripture. And the main reason that it's okay not to understand scripture in all its pieces and parts is because scripture does not exist in pieces and parts. Scripture exists as a whole, as a story, as, as one story chiefly about one person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming into earth from heaven to rescue us from ourselves, right? The entirety of the Scripture is one cohesive, comprehensive account of that reality. And, and so you might come across a, a piece in the part of the Scripture that you don't understand, whether it's because of the context, whether it's because of the, the vocabulary or, or something else, Cling on to this. God wants you to know the whole story. The, the, the pieces and parts, they, they are significant and they testify to that story. But if we get so hung up on the pieces and the parts, then we can miss the big picture. We can miss the biggest story that's ever been told to us. Reason number one why we find ourselves a little bit scared of the scriptures is because when we read them, we feel just a little bit dumb. But the second reason we feel uh, scared and maybe hesitant to approach the scriptures is because when we read them, we become just a little bit doubtful. 
Because when you read the scriptures, uh, some of the things it says aren't just confusing, they're actually like a little bit crazy, just like out of this world miraculous. And it's hard to hold on to those things and to take those things in faith. Like you've done this at least once. You've tried to start reading your Bible and you open up where? Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you read these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, in the beginning, there was nothing, absolutely nothing in the universe. And then there was God, someone, something, somehow, in the midst of this nothing. And then God, this someone, in the midst of nothing, creates something out of that nothing, and now that something in nothing and the something out of nothing are the sum total of everything that now exists forever. And you can't do the math on that. Like, it sounds crazy. Like, we are, um, like, incubated in that story, so it sounds kind of, like, reasonable to us, but to anybody who just is not familiar with this story, it sounds crazy. And that is the first page, the first line of the scriptures. And then you turn the page and you get to Genesis chapter 2. Not the creation of the whole universe, but the creation of humanity in particular. How does that start? It starts like this. God creates two people, Adam and Eve. And these two people, uh, one was made out of the dirt, Adam, and then one was made out of Adam's ribs, Eve, not the way most people are created, last time I checked. And then these two people are given total control, like like total authority and dominion over all of creation to, to steward it and care for it. And he gives them one limit. He gives them one line, one boundary they are not supposed to cross. And the line is this. You see that tree? You see the fruit on that tree over there? Not for you. Otherwise, total control, total authority, total dominion over creation. And you know what it takes for those two people to decide to go against the voice of God? To cross that line? It takes one voice that is not God's voice, the voice of a snake, by the way, who tells them, hey, by the way, that tree, actually kind of cool, good for you. And so they go, oh, okay. They take the fruit from the tree, and after they take the fruit from the tree, boom, like that. Famine, disease, death, hardship, toil, suffering, everything bad that has ever existed that we still feel the weight of started with this. And that doesn't make sense. It sounds crazy if you're not familiar with it. If you don't know what to do with it, you, you, you read the scripture from, from beginning to end, and there are some things that they're just hard to wrap your mind around, so we get a little bit scared. And that's not even touching stuff like eternal life, like heaven, like hell, like angels and demons. <sighs> Have a story. Last March, I was in Philadelphia with my family. Hi, family. Uh, we were watching our niece, my niece, get baptized. Right? And during the service, the pastor was asking a host of questions. One of them was this. Uh, and we asked this question too, by the way. Do you reject, do you renounce the devil in all his works and all his ways? If so, say yes with the help of God. And I've heard those words dozens of times. Like, like I've said them a, a bunch of times, and, and not once has it crossed my mind that those words were like crazy or concerning to say. And then on the drive back from the service, my my brother and I were sitting in the car and he leans over to me asking like a really sincere question. He's like, so so we don't really believe in like devils and demons, do we? And I'm like, I do. And he's like, oh, okay. But it wasn't like, oh, okay, everything's fine. Just checking. It was like, oh, okay, my brother's insane. How do I get out of this car as like quickly as humanly possible? Like, 
there, there are pieces of reality, both natural and supernatural, that the scriptures inform about, like inform us about, that, that make you ask the really sincere question, like, really? Like, really? Do we really believe in a virgin birth? Do we really believe that one day God just went and the sea was opened? Like, like do we really believe in miracles? And we get so scared to ask these questions sometimes because implicitly or explicitly, we've kind of been taught as people of faith that there stands like two poles, two extremes when it comes to your belief. Either you are doubtful and you have questions or you have faith and you have confidence and there's just like nothing in between. And so as soon as you ask a question, no matter how honest and sincere, it's really indicative of your doubt and more than your faith. But guys, here's the thing. God's not scared of your questions. Like, like he's really not. Like, God is not scared of your questions. Like, your questions may seem really big to you, and they probably are. Like, your questions, they're, they're, they're real and they're valid to have, but, but those questions, they're, they're not too big for God to answer. He's not scared of them. And it's okay to ask them. You should ask them. It, it would be crazy if you did not ask questions in your faith. That's not faith. That's dogmatism right? And by the way, like we talk about the scriptures and asking questions about the scriptures, half of the scriptures are people asking questions to God. You look at the Psalms, half of the Psalms are David crying out, how long, O Lord? Like how long before like these days are done? How long before I can have a day where I'm not being pursued by people who are trying to kill me? How long before I can live in peace and security again? You look at the book of Job, his life was turned absolutely upside down, kind of because God let it happen. And then towards the end of the book of Job, like he's just asking God, like, dude, like what's going on here? Like, like, I don't understand how this happened. Like, did I make you mad? Like, are you mad with me? Like, what's going on? And then you look to the New Testament, to to Jesus, the the gospels as a whole, if if you think about it, it's really just a series of question and answer with Jesus and everybody else. Like Jesus' best friends, his disciples, and his family like relentlessly brought questions and occasionally doubts to him, to his face. And you know what's amazing? What's amazing is this. It's that in, in all of the questions that God gets asked in the scriptures and through the scriptures, not once, not once is there a question that is too big for God to answer and not once is there a question that is too offensive from the person who asked it, that God's response to that question will be a rejection of that person altogether. Not once is that the case. There is room for for questions. There is room for sincere curiosity in your faith because from that curiosity, God just might bring clarity out of the confusion. Reason number one why sometimes we're scared of the scriptures is because when we read them, we feel kind of dumb. Reason number two is because we feel kind of doubtful when we read the scriptures. And reason number three, why sometimes we're just scared to to open up our Bible and read it, is because we know that we're just a little bit desperate. And here's what I mean by that. Unless you are just like an absolute and and total narcissist, like like you have enough self-awareness in you to realize that you've made a couple of mistakes. And not only that, you realize that you have felt the weight of those mistakes coming back at you. Whether you felt that in guilt or, or, or shame or, or fear or the sense of, of isolation, you have felt the weight of those mistakes that you've made. 
And it can be really hard to, to approach the scriptures when we have those feelings because kind of implicitly we, we know that we're going to read the scriptures and, and some part of them is going to tell us that, that those feelings that we have, they're, they're actually a signal for our sin, a, a signal for our, our desperate desire to be separate from God despite our desperate need to be close to Him. And here's what that sin does. It drives us inward on ourselves. It creates a, a constant state of like self-centeredness where, where we are just desperate for anything the world can offer us, desperate for, for validation from other people, desperate for, for security and the things that we have and the things that we do, desperate for control over every aspect of our life that we can never quite seem to get. And you know what God's word says about that desperation, about that sin? He says a couple of things. First, he says it is foolish to be so desperate. It is foolish because all of the things that we so desperately want and look for outside of God have already been delivered to us in full, freely and forever by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, he announces to all of us that we are loved. There is plenty of validation there that we are saved, there is eternal security in that, and that God is ultimately in control of your life, so you don't have to be, that pressure is off. And the entirety of the scriptures, the, the entirety of the scriptures, they all testify to that one reality, that one story, and that is not a story that we need to be afraid of, that is a story we need to lean into and embrace as the center of our identity. Just look with me again one more time at John chapter 5. This is Jesus, by the way, talking to the, the religious leaders of his day. This is Jesus talking to the people who know the scriptures the best, who have heard the scriptures, who, who have memorized a good chunk of the Old Testament. And, and here's what he has to say to them about their relationship to the scriptures. He says this, you search the scriptures because you think in them, you think in those rules, you think in those regulations that you have eternal life. And yet it is they, the Old Testament as a whole, like the law and the prophets, they all bear witness about me. And yet you, you refuse to come to me, the person these scriptures point to, that you may have life. It can be incredibly easy for us sometimes to search the scriptures to search the scriptures for, for wisdom and understanding, to, to search the scriptures for, for ways to be a, a better person, a better son or daughter, mother or father, student, worker, whatever. It, it can be incredibly easy, surprisingly easy to search the scripture for all of that stuff to just make us feel good about ourselves and, and to miss Jesus. Hypothetical question. And I don't know the answer to this, I'm just asking. Do you think there will be Bibles in heaven? Like, do you think there will be Bibles in heaven? Do, do you think printed copies of, of that book will be passed out as we enter the pearly gates? Maybe. Maybe what happens is we open the scriptures anew in eternity and we finally have some clarity in the midst of confusion. We finally see all the pieces and parts and how they fit together and, and create that whole story. But wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be just like absolutely incredible if one morning we all just woke up 
And instead of having to worry about reading the words on a page, we were standing face to face with a person whose word and breath and spirit inspired every single word on those pages. And what if in that moment, staring, staring face to face with the word of God made flesh, Jesus, we had the eternal opportunity, the eternal honor and privilege to just exalt that word for as long and as loud as we can with no fear at all. My desire for us as a church family this year is that we would search the scriptures. My desire is that God would, would form in us a deep desire, a devotion, and a, and a discipline to pursue them in their pieces, their parts, and as a whole. But, but more than anything, my deepest prayer for us is that we would search the scriptures to find Jesus. Amen. Can we pray together? Father God, I thank you for your word made flesh in Jesus. I thank you that despite our confusion that with you there is clarity, that you with you there is the promise of new life and forgiveness in this word. And I pray that as we approach this new year that we would have a, a new sense, a new revelation from you as to the depth of this word and what it means for us, what it means for, for our life, what it means for, for our relationships, what it means for our work and ministry for you and for your kingdom. God, I pray that you would send us out with this word, with confidence. I pray that you would send us out with faith and trust in you, that you will work through this word, and this word will not return void ever. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for showing us your love first and foremost in your son, Jesus, giving your life to give us life. In your name we pray, amen.